0: This morning, by God's goodness, we are going to be finishing the book of Daniel. I didn't get one amen on that one. I thought I'd say amen. I thought we'd get something, a little something on that one. Uh, but before we get to chapter twelve, I did want to say a few things about chapter eleven. You're thinking, oh no. If you're going to say a few things about chapter 11, how are we ever going to finish chapter 12? Well, namely, if you hadn't figured this out already, Daniel chapter 11 is without question possibly one of the most difficult chapters in the entirety of the Bible to preach and teach on. Um, If you don't believe me, I I brought a a little segue for you here. Let's see if I can find it. Yeah, right here. You ready for this one? Y'all know? Y'all know Alistair Begg? He's not a lightweight, is he? No, he, he's he's not a lightweight at all. Uh, check out what Alistair Begg had to say about uh, Daniel chapter 11. Hang on a second. Where's my volume? Can y'all hear that? Y'all can't hear that at all. You've got to hear what Alistair has to say about this, uh, so you can appreciate what I'm, what I'm doing up here. So, um, or what Pastor Matt did up here. Let's see if I can. Uh, okay, let's try it again. Where's the speaker right there? If I put the speaker over here by this this one, let's try this one more time or I'm going to have to translate for you. It's a privilege to come. I value your pastor's friendship and uh, encouragement in the gospel. And we're going to read from verse 36 of Daniel 11. Daniel 11 is maybe the hardest chapter in the entire Bible. So although I'm reading from it, uh, I probably won't comment on it at all. Leave that to others to make sense of. And our focus will be more what? on the opening verses of chapter 12. <laughs> okay, did you buy Yes. He says, it's the hardest chapter to preach from. And as such, I'm not going to say anything about it. <laughs> this is Alistair Begg. So, you know, I, um, um, I wanted to go on record to say that I in no way extended my excursus on the rapture question, which did take three weeks, for the purpose of causing Daniel 11 to fall on my vacation. I, <laughs> I just wanted you to know that right up front. Um, I, I, I did not do that. I assured Pastor Matt that God, who works all things in accordance with his providence... Uh, knew that somehow that my vacation and Daniel 11 would fall uh, and coincide with one another and that God knew Matt could handle the task of doing what Alistair Begg says he wouldn't even attempt to do. (laughs) And as such, I have have something for our friend, Pastor Matt. I I put together a certificate of completion. (laughs) Uh, I just called it a certificate of greatness. (laughs) This certifies that Matt Harkey has successfully completed the preaching of Daniel 11, every verse and word. (laughs) Preached Daniel 11, and it's signed by Jinx Bible Church Church Family. Amen? Appreciate you, brother. Now, I do want to say a few things <laughs> about Daniel chapter 11, uh, namely that the first 35 verses, which I'm sure you can't remember. I talked to a few people last week, and they're like, I have no earthly idea what Daniel 11 is saying. I go, well, most of us don't. I mean, if we took a survey, how many really captured the fullness of Daniel chapter 11? I mean, most of us are in the same boat, right? Right. But we're going to see something in Daniel chapter 12 today that I hope will be of encouragement with regard to that. But Daniel chapter 11, the first 35 verses were fulfilled prior to the first coming of Christ. And for the Jewish people who were living through that particular time of history, these verses would have proved to be very helpful. A reason to persevere through very difficult times of persecution, knowing that good things were still lying ahead. I guess you might say knowledge is power, right? When you have advanced knowledge of something that's going to be extremely difficult, it enables you to persevere to the end. And the Word of God gives us that concept on many of uh, occasions. And so God, through Daniel's, letting His people know, the Jewish people know what to expect prior to the full fulfillment of Daniel chapter nine verse twenty-seven. The six things in particular that God said he was going to do for this nation. But before you get there, here are some really difficult things that you're going to have to endure. And this is why the last ten verses of Daniel 11 will also prove to be helpful to those of us who will be called to remain faithful to God and to persevere through great persecution. When the time for those verses' fulfillment come, I think it will prove once again this concept that knowledge is power in these last 10 verses of chapter 11 that Matt covered last week it describes what's known biblically as the great tribulation of the antichrist it's a time of great persecution of the antichrist against God's people now that's been happening for the past 2,000 years that's not like something new that's all of a sudden just going to show up on the scene but it's a great persecution as such as has never been seen on planet Earth before. So if we think the persecution of the Antichrist has been difficult previously over the last 2,000 years since the birthing of the church, there's a time that's going to be greater still. Knowledge will be power. And also the last 10 verses describe subsequent to that what's also known as the wrath of God of the day of the Lord, when God says, my turn, and it's his turn to show up on the scene And avenge. So think about this. As difficult as it is or was to comprehend Daniel 11. And perhaps you sat there thinking, wow. Every time I look down at my scripture or the screen, I find myself thinking, where am I and what's going on? Extremely difficult to comprehend without question. Um. It it requires a ton of study. The interesting thing I want to just drop into your understanding this morning is that when the Apostle Paul planted the church of Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17, we know from this passage in Acts 17 that the Apostle Paul spent three weeks there in Thessalonica before a mob was formed against him and he was cast out and he ended up leaving by night and went off to Berea. You've heard of Berea perhaps, right? Acts 17, 11, Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. The apostle Paul went from Thessalonica. He spent three weeks there establishing and building up the church. A mob of Jewish clan rose up against him. He left by night. He goes to Berea, and he does the same thing in Berea that he does in all the churches. He goes to the synagogues, and what does he do? He teaches the scriptures, but the Bereans, it says, were more noble minded. They examined the scriptures that he was teaching them. Okay? So we know that the Apostle Paul, when in Thessalonica, was doing that exact same. He was teaching the scriptures. And when we examine those two letters, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, that Paul wrote and sent back to the church there in Thessalonica, it's without question that the Apostle Paul had spent considerable time there teaching from the Scriptures. And especially the book of Daniel. And in particular chapters 7, 9, and 11, and 12 from the book of Daniel. And I find this truly fascinating Because the the fact that these believers in the church of Thessalonica, historically speaking, they were in the same place that we are today. The first 35 verses of the book of Daniel, from their perspective, had already been fulfilled historically. The Apostle Paul was waxing eloquently on the last 10 verses of chapter 11, chapter 7 as well, chapter 9, yes, chapter 12, of course. But we, see, we saw particular information from Daniel chapter 11 that the Apostle Paul grabbed hold of and put in 2 Thessalonians. So while he was there three weeks with a fledgling church of Gentiles he thought and the spirit of god thought it necessary to wax eloquent on the book of daniel and in particular chapter 11 they're in the same boat we are first 35 verses already fulfilled just waiting on the next 10 to find its fulfillment and just go and read first and second thessalonians go back and read daniel daniel chapter 7 t- chapter 9 chapter 11 and 12 go read first and second thessalonians and you will see so many connections between the two that it's that you just go, wow. God thought it that necessary in the first three weeks. Sometimes we tend to think, why is all this theology necessary? It's so deep, we can't comprehend it. Listen, the apostle Paul, remember what Peter said about Paul? Some of the things he had to say were what? Were difficult. The reason it's difficult because Paul was giving commentary on very difficult passages like Daniel 11. But he expanded on that and by progressive revelation we have a fuller picture of some of the meanings that we see in the book of Daniel revealed for us in our New Testament. Paul didn't think it meaningless to teach through the book of Daniel in the first three weeks of the establishment of the church so that they could be prepared if they were to find themselves as part of the last generation of the church age who would be called to live through the last ten verses of Daniel chapter 11. He didn't know if they would be or not, and so he taught them the scriptures so that they could be prepared in advance because knowledge is what? It's power, and it enables you to be prepared to persevere through difficult times. In Matthew 24, 32 through 35, Jesus says, Now learn the parable from the fig tree. It's Matthew 24, 32 through 35. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. Now, you know, we spent a lot of time in Matthew 24, verse 3 down through verse 31, and we tend to jump off there in 31. It's not that the rest isn't relevant. But here in 32, learn the parable from the fig tree when its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves. You know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near. So contextually when it says, so you, when you see all these things, what things? When you see these things, what, what things, Jesus? Well, if we went back from verse 6 through 14, it talks about the birth pangs that lead up to the midpoint of this period of the seven year period from Daniel chapter 7. You get to verse 15, it talks about the abomination of desolation and the man of lawlessness, as the Apostle Paul puts it in Second Thess 2, who is th- thus revealed at the midpoint. You get to verse 21, it talks about a great tribulation, persecution against the saints like the world has never seen. You get to verse 29, cosmic disturbances, our new favorite word through the book of Daniel, right? You get to verse 30 through 31 of Matthew 24. The Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky to rapture his church. So again, verse 33. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he's near. The church was given information in advance so that they could be with an expectancy looking to know whether the last ten chapters of Daniel chapter 11 and through chapter 12 was going to fall on them and they were going to be a part of that generation that knowledge would become power and they needed to persevere all the way to the end. When you see all these things, recognize that he is near right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. I've heard so much confusion and difficulty over this generation see he was talking to his disciples and they had that they had to be that generation no the generation that what the generation that sees all these things there's going to be a there's going to be a time in the future where there is a last generation of the church age that's going to see all these things all these things have not been seen historically they have not been seen you might say well in Matthew 24, verses 1 and 2, the tearing down of the temple, that took place in 70 AD. Yeah, it did, verses 1, and Jesus said that was going to happen. And then there's a transition from verse 2 to verse 3. They go from walking by the temple mounts and the buildings, and they find themselves up on the Mount of Olives. A little bit of a walk, transition period, new topics. Tell us when the signs of the time of your coming will be. Everyone who sees these things, all these things that he just laid out, recognize he's standing right at the door, and that generation will not pass away. The generation that sees all these things, that will be the last generation of the church. Knowledge will be power. They will know that the last 10 verses of Daniel chapter 11 through chapter 12 have landed upon them. Knowledge will be power. Heaven and earth will pass away. My word will not pass away. Jesus clearly lets us know. That the church of every generation should be living with an expectancy of possibly being in that last generation. And so you see an expectancy through the Apostle Paul's teaching and James' teaching. The concept of what we think of imminency, an imminence. Meaning it's near, it could happen soon, we don't know. So what do we do? We look. We pay attention. We're sober-minded. We're not of darkness. We're not of the night. We're of the day. These things aren't going to overtake us because we're sons of light. Daniel told us what to be looking for. Jesus tells us what to be looking for. The Apostle Paul tells us what to be looking for. Knowledge, again, is power. So if you live your Christian life and you're sober-minded and you're being cognizant of the world around you and the culture around you and you see all kinds of political turbulence and rumors of war and wars and ukraine etc you're just, uh, we need to be paying attention we need to be paying attention to looking into what the word of god says as best as we can understand it we need to be like the bereans more noble-minded than the thessalonians and studying these things stu- we need to study daniel chapter 11 should i plug matt's class real fast matt you want to get up here and plug it i think i just did We need to study these things. Why? Not so that we can be eschatology nerds. No, so that we can be great ambassadors for Christ. So that when we go out and we give the heralding of the good news of Jesus Christ, we we're saying you need to repent from your sins. You know, we throw out the Hebrews 9:27 passage. It's been appointed for man to die once, and then comes judgment. Let's not fly too quickly past the reality that people are going to face judgment. People who don't know the Lord are going to face the wrath of the Lamb. The persecution of the Antichrist is going to be nothing in comparison. What can he do? He can kill the body, and he puts the body in the grave, but the soul absent from the body, present with with Christ, what did he effectively do? He ushered in the greatest day of our life ever. Death has no sting for the believer, and that's why we must be passionate evangelists and ambassadors because people need the Lord because that day of judgment is coming. And we once were like them. Such were some of you, but you were washed. God graciously, through the preaching of the word and the gospel being shared, opened our eyes to see the beauty of Christ in the gospel and we repented of sins and we clung to him with our lives. Amen? That's why these passages are so utterly important. Listen to what the Apostle Paul taught the church in Thessalonica from 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11. I'll give you time to flip there. I didn't put all these on the screen. Um, I don't want to get you too attached to the screen. I still like to hear pages rumble in the Bible church. So 1 Thessalonians kind of gets thin right before 1 and Timothy and Titus right there. All those T's kind of right there together in the... New Testament, 1 Thessalonians 5, I'm just going to kind of read it and touch on a few little things as we, And you, you, you thought this was about Daniel 12, it is, this is just the intro, I'm going to get finished with Daniel 12, we will be done with Daniel chapter 12 today, you'll see. First Thess 5, one through 11 now as to the times and epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. He's writing to, who's he writing to? He's writing to the church at Thessalonica. He was there about three weeks. Life got threatened, slipped out by night, ended up in Berea. Now, as to the times and epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord, where they get that concept within three weeks, will come just like a thief in the night. Have you ever heard of the thief in the night principle? Well, one of the beauties, knowledge is power. One of the beautiful things about Paul here in 1 Thessalonians 5 is that he lets us know who will be Taken unawares by the day of the Lord, the coming of Christ, as if it were like a thief in the night. It's not the church. Check this out. Verse 3. While they were saying, peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. Who are the they? Who are the they going to be saying, peace and safety? It's not going to be the believers. The believers are going to be sober-minded. They're going to be paying attention. They've probably seen a lot of the signs that Jesus talked about. They're going to be observant to this. Verse 4. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day, that the day of the Lord, would overtake you like a thief. The day of the Lord is not going to overtake believers, that, gener- that last generation, like a thief in the night. We don't know the exact day or hour, but we know the signs because we've studied Daniel. We took time to make observation and think deeply and hard and long on the book of Daniel. And we connected that with Jesus' teaching, Paul's teaching, teaching Scripture, helping Scripture with understanding. We've done that. We're not in darkness, brethren, verse 4, that the day would overtake you, the church, like a thief, For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. Verse 6, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep, do their sleeping at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on, and here's some Ephesians 6, the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Wrath. God has not destined us for wrath. Verse 2. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. The wrath of the Lamb that shows up on the day of the Lord will overtake unbelievers who are saying, Peace and safety. We've put our hope in the Antichrist. They're not calling him that. They're probably calling him like, you know, Uncle Sam. I don't know what they're calling him. But they've put their they've put all their hope and all their eggs in that basket. In the building of a better society. It's going to overtake them like a thief in the night. The day of the Lord. The day of the wrath of the Lamb. But we weren't destined for that wrath. We've been through all this, haven't we? Where did Paul get some of this information? Daniel 7, Daniel 9, Daniel 11, 12. He taught that to the church in Thessalonica within the first three weeks. I find this rather beautiful. Sobering, but beautiful. Who died for us, verse 10, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. So this whole concept that the church is going to be Surprised like the coming of the Lord. It's like a thief in the night. Is just not even biblical. We're not of darkness. We're of day. Daniel gave us revelation. Jesus gave us information. Here are the signs. The apostle Paul elaborates on it. The book of Revelation is an entire book on these things. So that we, knowledge is power. So that we, when we start, if we're of that last generation, that's going to see all these things that Jesus said would precede his time of his coming. We can be aware and we can know that there's going to be a great tribulation of the Antichrist that's going to go across this earth and is going to persecute the saints of God like never before. Knowledge is power. And we can be prepared and we can prepare our families and our friends and our neighbors. And we can share the gospel with those who need the Lord. The coming of Christ isn't to be like a thief in the night for the church, but for unbelievers. And the reason... We know what to expect is because it was written. It was written. We see the seeds of all of this in Daniel and then in Jesus. We see it in some in Isaiah, some in Jeremiah and the prophets. We see it a lot through the Apostle Paul's 13 letters, probably most explicitly in First and 2 Thessalonians. When we get to chapter 12, when we get to chapter 12, that's what I'm preaching on today. Chapter 12. When we get to chapter 12, verse 2, and it deals with the resurrection. When was the last time you considered the Apostle Paul's understanding of the resurrection? The Spirit gave him more knowledge of the resurrection that Daniel had the seeds of. In chapter 15 in 1 Corinthians is an entire chapter just exploding on the concepts of the resurrection. You see, the, the Apostle Paul, when he taught the scriptures, what scriptures did he have? He had the Old Testament. Then he ended up writing his letters back to these churches later. Okay, now we're in Daniel chapter 12. That was a little, um, that was just a little, I feel better now. Do you feel better? Immensely. Immensely. And I hope you feel really good about yourselves. You have persevered. You have persevered through the teaching of the entire book of Daniel, every chapter, every word. And we looked at words pretty, pretty strongly. But remember, that labor will not be in vain. Knowledge is power. And God, by his grace, has given us insight into his word as we've looked very closely at these things. Now, in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, my main word I'm focusing on is this word right here, rescued. Uh-oh. Why is my pen not working? My pen's are not working, Matt. There's always a glitch somewhere in the system, and today it's with my beautiful pen that I was going to be highlighting. You see, re- you see, re- okay, you see, rescued right here. Smart board right here. Rescued. So write down that word if you're taking notes. Now, at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found, written in the book, will be rescued. Will be rescued. The opening phrase of chapter 12 Now, at that time, you see those words? At that time makes clear that this passage is talking about the same time in context that's flowing out of chapter 11, verses 36 through 45. The time of the end. The time when Antichrist is making war on Egypt as well as the king of the north and will make his arrival into Jerusalem. A time which leads to the last three and a half years of Daniel's 70th week from chapter 9, verse 27, which, as we know, is known as a time of the Great Tribulation, the persecution of the Antichrist, and as a time of the wrath of God, which is also, we know, is the day of the Lord. And it appears to me that this time, there at the beginning of verse 1, is probably the time of the what we discovered in nine twenty-seven and Matthew 24, and 15, as that time of the abomination of desolation, when the Antichrist will take his seat in the temple or tabernacle of God and declare himself as being God. When he makes himself into the beautiful land there into Jerusalem. Because we know that's going to happen, right? And probably no better time than this, but we're also going to see later in chapter 12 a connection with that. So just bear with me when we get to chapter, verse 10, you'll see that. Now look again at verse 1. It says, there in the second full sentence. And there will be a time of distress such as has never occurred since there was a nation until that time. Does that sound familiar? Are you connecting some with Daniel 7, Daniel 9? A time of distress such as has never occurred since there was a nation until that time. It rings in my ear, Matthew 24, 22. It uses the words there, great tribulation. And it says, and at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book of life, will be rescued. Michael, who seems here to be, the, who's referred to as this great prince, seems to be like the guardian angel over the nation of Israel. It says he's going to arise, and specifically, he's going to arise in what's known as a time of Jacob's trouble. Because part of the day of the Lord is is. is Persecution, God's wrath poured out against the nation of Israel. It's going to be on a global scene as well. We see that in the book of Revelation, but it's going to have a very narrow focus and it's going to be penetrated on the nation of Israel. And Michael, the great prince, is going to stand and he's going to, it says, guard some of the sons of your people. And it says at the end of verse 1, and at that time, your people, and I believe these are the very ones, the sons of your people that are going to be guarded by Michael. This great archangel, everyone who's found written in the book of life will be rescued. It seems that Michael, during this time of the day of the Lord, the wrath of the Lamb being poured out in the world, and in particular against the nation of Israel, it seems that Michael here is going to be guarding some of the sons of the nation of Israel for a very particular purpose. And it's during that time when there is distress such as has never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And again, that seems to be the time of Daniel's 70th week, most specifically the last three and a half years. And we know in particular from Revelation chapter 7 and from Revelation chapter 12 that there is a remnant of Jews who will indeed be protected as Daniel's making reference to here. They will be protected and provided for. It uses the word nourished in the book of Revelation for a provision, a a nourishment, a protection for a remnant of the sons of God during this time of this last seven years and in particular the last three and a half years. And in the book of Revelation chapter 7, it says specifically of these 144,000 Jews that they will get the seal of the mark of God on their forehead. What that's going to look like, it doesn't say. I don't know what it's going to look like, but they're going to have it. And that seal is going to be a sign over them, and Michael, it seems, is going to rise, and he's going to be working hard to protect them, because there's going to be a spiritual war going on. We know from from Revelation chapter 12, the dragon's going to ultimately be cast down from heaven, and he's going to come after this remnant, these last 144,000 Jews, and he's going to try to annihilate them completely. Just later today, read Revelation 7, Revelation 12, and go back and think of Michael here in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. In the reality that he's going to stand and he's going to rise, guard the sons of the people of Israel. And again, notice one of the things that we're probably thinking when you get to the very end here of verse 1. Everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. I don't know about you, but my first thought would have been, what book? There's a book. There's a book and there's writing in the book. Everyone who is found written in the book. So there's people who are found written in a book, and these people who are found written in the book get rescued. Well, when we go back to Daniel chapter 7, verse 10, and we're dealing with that same time period, the time of great tribulation, we see that there are books that are open before God the Father. He's referred to there as the Ancient of Days. And again, it's in that same time period there in Daniel chapter 7, is going to be dealing with the great tribulation. This same period that we're talking about here in chapter 12. But when you look at Daniel 7, 10, it doesn't tell us what's written on the pages of the book that's opened. So perhaps when we go to the book of Revelation and we see in chapter 13 the exact same time reference with the time markers and stamps that we see in Daniel 7 and Daniel 9 and Daniel 11 made mention there in Revelation 13, and it also mentions a book, perhaps talking about the same circumstances, the same time frame, the same situation, and so it's, it seems to me to be relevant. And so in Revelation 13... 5 through 8, it says, There was given to him a mouth, speaking arrogant words. So this is right out of Daniel, uh, Daniel 7. And blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months. That's time, times, and half a time. That's three and a half years. So we're in that same spot, aren't we? Dealing with the same spot. Verse 6, And he opened his mouth and blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. It was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. All who dwell on the earth, verse 8, will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. So here in this Revelation passage, we see the same time markers and stamps dealing with the last time, times and half time, 42 months, 1290 days, we see that same time reference of this great tribulation that begins at the midpoint with the revealing of the man of lawlessness. And here we have a book. And it says that there are names written in the book. It's referred to as a book of life of the lamb who was slain. And so when we see there uh, at the end of verse 1, at that time your people, everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. It seems what we have in Daniel chapter 1 is in a seed form that which the Spirit gave the Apostle John in a broader, fuller sense here in the book of Revelation, dealing with the same time reference frame, that there's going to be a book of life that have names written in them. And those who are rescued are going to have their names written in the book of life. Now, this is a really a little bit more of a complex subject that we could talk about, but I don't have an excursus on this today. Okay, so I'm dropping some of this stuff on you and saying maybe Pastor Matt covers it in his class. I don't know. Are you? We'll find out. You got to go show up to find out. Is he going to talk about the book of life? Uh, Maybe. But it's one of these things that's that's a reality. And I've heard people say, well, from the foundation of the world, you mean names were written from before the foundation of the world? And I'm going to say, well, that's just what it says. It says everyone whose name has not been written, so names that weren't written from the foundation of the world, which would seem to imply the, Reverse of that, that from the foundation of the world, there were names that were written in this book of the Lamb of Life, and those are going to be the ones who get rescued. And, you know, some of this stuff is deep. These are deep waters. But what I do know, what I do know, is that God's understanding of all things and our understanding of all things are quite different. And that's why we preach the gospel. And that's why it's a whosoever will gospel come. So if perhaps today you're thinking, well, I wonder if my name's written in the book of life. You know how you make certain? If you've never done it before, you repent of your sins today and you cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ today and you name him your Savior and your Lord today and you live for him today and forever, yea, and you persevere with him all the way to the end. And I'll guarantee you this, when you get there, if they show us the book, your name before the foundations of the world would have been written in the Lamb's book of life. How does that work? (laughs) Ask God when you get there. Isn't that beautiful? So don't leave today without knowing certain that your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life if you've never done that before. That's truly important. And I would love, it'd be the greatest privilege I could have to be to talk to any of you about that thing particularly. How to know the Lord intimately like that. And again, we see this same concept in Revelation chapter 20, verse 15. Again, dealing with this the, the concept of judgment, and in this passage, Revelation 20, 15, dealing with. The the last judgment, kind of referred to as the great white throne judgment, at the very end, it says in Revelation 2015, it says, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So, long time before John was given this revelation, Daniel said it first, God has an amazing book of life, and apparently it's filled with names, and those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, will be eternally secure in the abode of God, the Almighty, forever and ever. And in our passage in Daniel 12, 1 specifically, there is going to be a remnant of Jews rescued by Michael, the great prince of the people of God, and of that remnant of Jews, it seems clearly that their names were names that were found written in this great book of life of the Lamb who was slain. That's the only conclusion that I can come to from that. And we know a little bit more about this group. We've looked at this passage before from the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 11. He Paul's writing to the church in Rome and he says, I do not want you, the church, to be uninformed of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Without question, we see a distinction between the church and Israel in, Revela- in Romans 11:25. 25, without question. There's been a partial hardening to the nation of Israel until a fullness of Gentiles has come in. Now, sometimes we refer to that fullness of Gentiles coming in as like the last Gentile who gets saved. There's going to be the very last Gentile who gets saved, and thus it's a, there's a fullness of that. And perhaps that's exactly what it's talking about. Perhaps the fullness of the Gentiles coming in would also correspond with end-time teaching that we've been looking at and the cosmic disturbances and then the rapture of the church, perhaps that. And then chapter 7 of Revelation, the 144,000 that get sealed. The church is gone. 140,000, they weren't a part of the church. They get saved after that, and then they're sealed. Things to think about. And in Matt's class, you're going to get to think about all these things very deeply, I'm really plugging his class. You need to get to his class. Thursday at what time? Thursday right here at 6.30. And you can walk through some of these details, as did the church of Thessalonica for three weeks. And then Paul wrote them back and said, hey, don't forget, I told you about this stuff. Okay? Okay. So we see in this Romans passage... Um, this distinction, and he says right there in verse 26, and so all Israel will be saved, so whenever that fullness of Gentiles comes in, there's a transition to Israel, will be saved, I personally make that a connection there in Revelation chapter 7, church is gone, God does something miraculous with the one hundred forty-four thousand Jews. He puts the seal of God on them, and then He miraculously preserves them through the wrath of the Lamb that comes at the opening of the sixth seal. He's been preserving them through the entirety of the seven-seven year period, as it as it were, as we see in Revelation twelve, anyways. And so that's this is the group that I believe that the Apostle Paul is talking about, that that Daniel was talking about, that Michael during this last period comes and guards and protects is going to be this remnant of the nation of Israel because the wrath of God is going to pour out. There's going to be a loss of life like this world has never seen before during this time, but God will preserve this remnant for himself. And as Daniel said, those chosen for salvation whose names were written in the book of life, they were indeed rescued. And when you think of the way the apostle Paul was rescued, i.e. saved, I think these 144,000, it's going to be a similar thing. They're probably what I would call Orthodox Jews living today, Orthodox Jews living today over there in Jerusalem, striving to be faithful to God, trying to do what their Old Testament tells them to do. Okay, And Revelation 12, it talks about how fastidious they are in trying to keep the, the law of God. Okay, And so these Orthodox Jews, after the church is raptured, God's going to save. God's going to, there's going to be an an ending of sacrifice. They were really happy for about three and a half years. They got to maybe start doing some sacrifice again. That comes to an end. They're called to worship the beast. They won't do it. And God is going to preserve and save this remnant of Jews for himself and preserve them all the way through to the end. Isn't that beautiful? I find that to be utterly beautiful. And then verse 29 says, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. God's going to accomplish what he said he's going to accomplish and we see the seeds of it in the book of Daniel. Now as for verse 2 of Daniel, notice, many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Now when you think about this initially, isn't it interesting that the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of the body when Daniel so clearly teaches a resurrection of the body? But the Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. The Apostle Paul, as I made mention in 1 Corinthians 15, really elaborates on this. We see here in 15.35, he says, But someone will say, How are the dead raised, and with what kind of body do they come? He says, You you fool, that which you sow does not come to life unless it dies, and that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps, of wheat or of something else. And so what's getting sowed into the earth is this body. The body is what's being sowed. And it's that body that's going to be raised imperishable. We see later in First Corinthians 15, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable what? Body. It is raised an imperishable body. The body is what gets Sown. It's the dead seed that gets placed in the ground, the body. And it's raised an imperishable body. It's sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there is a spiritual body. A spiritual body meaning a resurrected, glorified body that can live forever in the presence of God. In the eternal state forever and ever and ever. These mortal bodies get sown. They die. Get put into the ground. And as Daniel 2 says. Notice many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. These. There's going to be some to everlasting life. But others. There's going to be others to disgrace and everlasting contempt not a lot of detail in there but the apostle paul really explodes that in first corinthians 15 let me encourage you to read more about that but have you ever been to a um a service that has an open casket i'm sure you have and you look in there and what do you see you see a body and what does it look like that body's doing well, sometimes it doesn't look good, but it looks like they're asleep. They've got their eyes closed, their hands crossed. Now, not many of you sleep in your in your tuxedos, guys. But, you know, at least they're going to bury you in one, perhaps. But, yeah, they look like they're asleep. And that's what I believe this is making reference to, just th- that simple. The body looks like it's asleep, and it's put into the dust of the ground, but it's going to awake. It's going to be sown a perishable, bo- perishable body, but raised an immortal body. Remember at the fifth seal, Revelation chapter 6, kind of sometimes referred to that as the martyrdom seal. The souls of those people who had been martyred, where were they? They were at the altar of God. And what were they doing? They were talking to God. They were having conversation with God. And they were saying, how long until you avenge our blood? Where were their bodies? They're Still down on earth somewhere. I don't know what they ended up looking like after being slain under the great persecution of the Antichrist, but their bodies were down on earth. They may not have even had the opportunity of getting them buried and put into the dust, looking like they were asleep. But where's their soul? Well, the Apostle Paul says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. The body, that sleeping body that has died, it's it's buried. It's decayed. It will decay, and it's perishable. But miraculously, as we, as we know from 1 Corinthians 15, that's going to be raised imperishable. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4 that um, we who are alive and remain will not precede those who have fallen asleep. The dead in Christ will rise first. Those bodies that were sown into the earth will rise first imperishable and meet the Lord in the air. And thus we will always be with the Lord forever and ever. Amen. So again, this, this idea of the resurrection and resurrection bodies is truly a beautiful thing. I don't have time to read this entire passage. I just kind of made mention of it there for you in 1 Thessalonians 4. But um, go take a peek at 1 Thessalonians 4:13 13 through 18 as well. Daniel gives us information in verse 1 of Michael preserving a remnant of Jews, books, names in the book of life, rescued. And then he says... In verse 2, well, I don't have verse 2. I could get to it real fast right here. He says in verse 2 that many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. And there's going to be many who will awake. Some to everlasting life, others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. We could again go to Revelation 20 and look at the great white throne judgment and recognize in that last resurrection there's going to be all of those unbelievers resurrected. They're going to be given immortal bodies that will not just vanish or perish or somehow go off into the ether. They will be put in a place of eternal torment forever and ever and ever, and they will experience the wrath of God forever. And that's a horrible thought. I mean, honestly, that's one of the, that's one of the most horrible thoughts that I think a human could think of. And this is why knowledge is power, and this is why we as the church, we have the seed of the gospel, we have the hope of Jesus Christ, and we need to be great ambassadors all the days that we have life. Sober-minded, looking, are we seeing the signs? Might we be a part of that last generation? Don't know. But nonetheless, we're going to live in a holy way before the Lord because we could be. We don't know. So we live with expectancy. And when we see all those things, if we're still here, I'm going to be hunkering up probably with a lot of you. We're going to you know, bury a big old, we're going to bury a big building underground somewhere and we have church under there and have our, you know, our rations, you know, boil some water and, Mix in some powder, and that's your that's your your, your ramen noodles. That's it for the day. <laughs> or, you know, some of us may just take the hill and say, no, we're going to go face the persecution the end of the antichrist and, and uh, just get out of here while we can. Forget all that stuff. I don't know what we're going to do if we're part of that last generation. Wouldn't that be fascinating? I find it would be fascinating. But on the other hand, if I'm wrong and my pre-trib brothers are right, we won't need to worry about that anyways. Because we'll already be gone. Amen? Amen. I'm fine either way. I want you to know that. I I am totally fine either way. I'm just persuaded in a different direction. And thus, like Paul did with the Thessalonians, spoke these things to the church because knowledge was power, and they needed to know Daniel 7, 9, and 11, and 12, just like we do. Chapter Chapter 12, verse 3, notice, those who have insight, and this is the reward, my third R, reward, Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse. This seems clearly to be analogous to just the joys of being with God in heaven. This concept of shining brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. I don't even know exactly how to put that into words. About With what kind of brightness will we shine with these bodies that will last forever and ever? I don't know. But it says that those who have insight, and it makes a distinction, this idea of having insight... These will be the ones that are brightly shining brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. It seems to be that there's just a blessedness, a, a gravitas with them. And I've, more than likely, it's the, the, the pleasing fragrance aroma of the gospel that has surrounded them in their life, all their life. Because you notice this distinction that it starts making. It says, and those who lead many to righteousness. So it seems that these who are going to be enjoying the expanse and the brightness of the heavens and shining brightly like that forever and ever were actively engaged in doing some kind of kingdom business while they were still on earth pleading to God that they could perhaps lead many to righteousness, that they could lead them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That seems to be what's implied here. And then it goes back to like the stars forever and ever. So in verse 3, it just seems to be a, a, this concept of the great rewards that there will be of those who live their lives for the Lord Jesus Christ and try to lead as many as they could to the righteous understanding of his glorious gospel. And they will be experiencing the joys of heaven forever and ever and ever and ever. I, that's just what it seems to be saying to me. It gives me a good warm fuzzy. I hope it does you too. Because, man, that, that's going to be a glorious day, will it not? And, again, why are we needing to be ambassadors? People need the Lord. You're going to get a lot of no's. But, man, if you get that one yes, say, thank you, Jesus, because you planted and you watered and you planted and you watered. Only God can cause the growth. But we got to be willing to take the no's. we got to be willing to take the no's. Look at verse 4. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words. Seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. This is the verse I was talking about where it seems to me (coughs) that there, there needs to be an applied study of this book. Conceal these words and seal up the book. A preservation The knowledge that's been put into Daniel, the book of Daniel, there needs to be a preservation over this book until the end of time because people all the way until the end of time are going to be benefited by the value that comes from this book. And see where it says many will go back and forth? I don't know definitively. But what it seems to be saying is this idea of going back and forth is going back and forth in their study over these things that God has revealed to Daniel the prophet. They're going over it again and again, back and forth, over it again and again. And now we have the privilege of having progressive revelation that we can bring together with this. So it seems to me to imply the necessity, Daniel, of concealing this book. There's going to be a time all the way into the end that people are going to be able to be benefited and valued from this. And people need to spend time studying it. It made me think, maybe this is why the Apostle Paul, with only three weeks, was teaching this brand new church such heavy doctrine. I find this utterly fascinating. I hope you do too. And it says that knowledge will increase. The result of going back and forth over and over again over God's words, of trying to understand the heart of God, what happens? Knowledge increases. We gain a better understanding of the mind of God with regard to the things of God and things to come it's what it seems to be saying to me right here. Now, I got to fly. You ready? Cuz I told you I'm done and I I meant it. So watch this. 5 and 6. Then I Daniel looked and behold two others were standing one on this bank of the river and the other on that bank of the river and it seems that these would be differing angels and one said to the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river, "How long will it be until the end of these wonders?" I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river as he raised his right hand and his left toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for. Does this look familiar? A time, times, and half a time. <laughs> We're back to the time, times, and half a time. Three and a half years. And as soon as they finished shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be accomplished. Just like we've seen in Daniel chapter 7, just like we have articulated very well in Daniel chapter 9 through 11 and now even into 12, saying the same thing again and again and again. And so it seems clearly that one of the reasons for the great tribulation is for God to pour out his wrath against who? Against Israel. Yes, the world, but in particular, the nation of Israel. Verse 8, as for me, I heard but could not understand. So I said, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? Daniel's in essence saying, Lord, I need more revelation. I need some help here. He says in verse 9, go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed until the end of time. God's going to make certain that there's a preservation of this revelation. Many will be purged, purified and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly and none of the wicked will understand. But those who have insight will understand. Does that not sound like first Thess chapter 5? None of the wicked will understand. They're going to be saying peace and safety. But those who have insight, they will understand. That in that time of the great tribulation, many will be purged. There's going to be a purging, a purifying, and a refining that goes on in that time with the persecution of the antichrist and then the wrath of the lamb like there's never been on this world, God's going to accomplish and bring in everlasting righteousness, just like he said he would. But the wicked, the unbelievers, they're going to be blinded to this truth. And we see all the way to the end, they're going to be saying peace and safety. They've, they've locked up with the guy that said that if you take my mark, I'll provide for you always. I love you. No understanding. But those with insight who perhaps studied, went back and forth over deep words within Daniel and Paul and Jesus to try to make great understanding of it so that if they were of that last generation, they'd be prepared because knowledge is power. They will have insight. They will have understanding. So in verse 11, from that time, so from the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished And the abomination of desolation is set up. This is why when we began in verse 1. I said there's a connection to this. Probably being the time of the midpoint. And here's the more specific information in verse 11. From the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished. Which happens at the midpoint. And the abomination of desolation is set up. Which is again the midpoint. The man of lawlessness is revealed. There will be 1290 days. 1290 days is three and a half years. It's a time times and a half time. It's all saying the exact same thing. So it seems that. The last ten verses of Daniel 11 are giving us information about this time. And here in Daniel 12, you're getting a little bit more insight into some of the unique things. Books of life. Resurrections of bodies that are sown. um, The need for the preservation of the word of God and the deep things of the word of God. For the education of his people. So that we would have insight and not be caught like a thief in the night. Like those unawares would be. And again... When we see these things, we know that this is what he's talking about. Now, very interestingly, verse twelve it says, "How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the one thousand three hundred thirty-five days." Well, twelve ninety, so thirty-five forty-five. That's another forty-five days. Well, that's all it tells us. So, all I have to say to you is, "Hey, how blessed it's going to be for those who wait and attain to the thirteen hundred thirty-five days." And I taught the Word of God, right? I mean, it's what it says. <laughs> because there's not a lot of information on it, but if you want the basket load of it, yeah, Pastor Matt, his class. No, clearly after the seven-year period that wraps up with the 1,290 days, that seven-year period that last three and a half years gets wrapped up. Things don't just vanish, poof, disappear. There are more things that are going to happen for the setting up and the and the establishment of. A millennial kingdom and that that will usher into an eternal kingdom. And these extra 45 days here, there are some particular things that are going to happen. Daniel doesn't give it to us, so I'm not going to have an excursus on it. Because I need to wrap this up now. But if you're interested in that, and you should be. Because you need to go back and forth on these things to discover them. We have a class for you. And then in verse 13, but as for you, Daniel, go your way to the end. Then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. So Daniel knew, Daniel, you're going to live the rest of your life. Your body's going to be sown, but then you're going to be raised and resurrected, and then you're going to have an allotment of portion of some sort, doesn't say of what, at the end of the age, meaning the age to come. So Daniel, here's the last precious little word for you, brother. Well done, good and faithful servant. I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. I'm coming again, and I'm going to get you. Isn't that good? That is so good. And thus, we conclude the book of Daniel. Yeah. <laughs> Woo. So with that in mind, all the praise to God. These, it's, it's truly a blessing to be able to study the word of God, is it not? And that's what, that's what the church does. The church gathers to study the word of God, to know the mind of God so that we can live for God. In the best capacity we can. We're not throwing out little lollipops and pretty little things so that you can sing cute little songs. No, listen, th- if these things are real, what sort of people ought we to be? Peter talks about that as a matter of fact. Second Peter chapter three. Go read Second Peter chapter three. It'll tell you exactly what sort of people we ought to be in light of the fact that these things are true. Let's pray.